0: Good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Philip. I'm one of the ministers here, and I get to share with you today. I thought it'd be appropriate as we uh, get started, and maybe you're new, just to get to know each other a little bit. I want you to go first, though. Um, I would like a show of hands. If you have ever been one of these people who, when you were a child, think back to your childhood, have you ever done something that when your parents found out what you did, you were dead? You Welcome, my fellow rebels. Good to have you here. Like, you knew it was going to be bad, but you did it anyway. Now, how many of you, by a show of hands, be honest, when the punishment happened, you're like, I think they kind of overreacted a little bit personally. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not alone. Thank you. You know, just a little bit about myself. Uh, I have always had a little bit of a rebellious nature to myself. I am. I, I really can't help it. I've always just been kind of a Rebel, I guess. I'm always, like, no matter what the what the rule is or whatever or law, I'm always like, I wonder why they have that rule. It seems a little silly to me. And then I'm like, I wonder how attached they are to their rule. And the only way you know is to what? Maybe bent. Someone said, break it. <laughs> it's really what I wanted to say. Thank you. Um, yeah, you don't know until you bend it just a little bit. And now, I think it's good to question things. I really do. I think that's a really good, I think it's a spiritual practice. However, sometimes when you're questioning, like it has for me, leads to like just an outright disobedience, um, you get into a little bit of trouble. And I thought it'd be good to share one with you, just so you understand what I'm saying. So in about fourth or fifth grade, I thought to myself, I'm a man. I can take care of myself. So it was summer break, and my mom lets me go out and ride my bike. And we had, like, my two-year-old baby brother. She's, like, taking care of him. I thought, oh, she'll be fine. So I thought, okay, I'll ride up and down our 100-yard street. That's real lame. So as soon as she went back in, I thought, you know, she's never going to know. I kind of want to go around the corner to my friend Craig's house. It was like a two-minute bike ride. So I'm like, you know, yeah, Mom, this is real great. And then she goes inside, so I decide I'm going to take off and go to my friend's house. So I get there, and... um, we probably sat down played video games or did something like that. I don't know. But what I thought would be 20 minutes turned into about two hours. I didn't have a phone or anything. And, like, my mom probably shut off my tracking device at that time. I don't know. But she had no idea where I was. And I looked up. I'm like, oh, man, it's, it's been two hours. I should probably head back. She might notice. I'm gone as if a mom's not going to notice their child's missing for two hours. So I, I speed home, you know, like two minutes, and as soon as I round the corner onto our street, I'm not kidding, my mom, two-year-old brother in this arm and a phone and this, guys, she's mad. She's like pacing like this, like a bull stomping the ground. And I'm like, what's her deal? It's probably had nothing to do with me. So... <laughs> I pull up, and before I could even get off my bike, she launches into this this one-way conversation about how I was this irresponsible child. She was worried, sick. Someone could have taken me even before the movie taken was even out, and she's like freaking out and just yelling and I'm not proud of this. Don't judge me, okay? But for some reason, something came over me. I don't even remember what, but I got so angry that she was, like, trying to, like, I'm a man, woman. Like, listen. So I stepped off my bike, and I pushed it down, and I, like, assumed the stance I'd seen in so many kung fu movies. I'm like, bring it on, Mom. I was like, I know kung fu. And all of a sudden, my mom, who was going crazy, gains this calm composure. If you've ever been in an argument with someone and they get calm, watch out. So I'm like, I didn't know that then. So she just gets really calm, and she's got my baby brother, and she goes, really? Boom! And I fly back, insert myself, staining my new jean shorts on the grass, running inside, crying. Oh, it was bad. Now, I'm much more mature today, I guess that depends on who you ask, but I'm much more mature today and I do know some kung fu, and I'm telling you this, I will never challenge my mom ever again. A woman can fight, like, for real. Guys, if you're in the room, don't challenge your mama, she will mess you up. So that's a funny story and I I do tell you it for a reason. Uh, (laughs) Let me ask you this, think back to that story and maybe your own like it. Why was my mom so upset? My mom was so upset, not because she was trying to stifle my freedom, contain this wild and rebellious man-child I thought I was. She was upset because I disobeyed. I disobeyed a rule that she had for me to keep me safe. Because she loved me and she cared for me. And when I disobeyed, when I decided to say, you know, I really don't care what you think, and did my own thing. What that told my mom is that I did not value her that I did not love her, that her authority was not respected. Because you and I b- both know that the way we show love to those in authority over us, or even those that we live in the same house with, the way we show love to somebody is to do what they ask. The way your kids show love to you, parents, is to obey your rules that you have for them to obey. So we're ending a series today that we've been in for, this is week three, and it's a series preached, or it's a series taken from an old, old story, an Old Testament prophet by the name of Haggai. Now, you don't actually hear a lot of sermons preached from Haggai, but he's actually quoted in the New Testament. Jesus, as a Jewish boy, probably studied and heard the prophecy of Haggai. Jesus knew it. And in Haggai, we wrap up today with week one. We talked about the uh, obstacle of misplaced trust. That was last week. And week one was was the obstacle of priorities. And then misplaced trust. And today, we talk about the obstacle of disobedience. And that's why we began with that story. Moreover, I think this today answers a vital question for us. How do you show love to God? How do you show love to God? And how do you know you're really obeying what he says? Well, much like with our parents, we show love to God by obeying his commands. By obeying what he teaches us. But what does he actually teach us? I want to answer that, but before we do, we have to lay the foundation for how we love God. We love God through obeying him. Now, when I say the word obedience... There are two different kinds of people that are in the room that when you hear that word, you're probably going to react two different ways. The first group, when I say the word obedience to God, this is nothing new for you. You have been doing this for a long time. That speaks to you. You understand. But maybe even today will challenge some of like why you follow the commands of God. And maybe even it will help you realize what you're supposed to follow. What's the rule? What's the command? What am I supposed to do? And hopefully you'll notice what promise you are given as a result of following God's commands. Now, if you're a parent in the room that follows Jesus, I'm really excited that you're here. Because I, I was in youth ministry for a long time and I saw that there were a lot of parents that tried to, when, when we explained to our kids, here's why Christians do these things, here's why we don't do these things, If we don't help them see why, it comes off as just a list of rules. And hopefully today we'll actually give you a tool that I hope you'll use to help explain to your children, here's why Christians do this. Here's why Christians don't do this. Now, some of you might be here and you follow Jesus, or maybe you don't, and you just feel like you've disobeyed for so long. There's no way, even if you tried, God would forgive you. I mean, the people you wronged won't forgive you, so why would, they, why would God forgive you? And then there's some of you who are like me, my fellow rebellious people, who probably just want to know what happens when I don't obey God. And if you're like me, I want to know exactly what I'm supposed to to obey. Now that's the first group of people. Now the second group of people are the ones I empathize with the most because I've been exactly there. I always remember that every time I preach and it's a group of people that if you're here, it's probably because a friend asked you. You're maybe doing them a favor by being here. Your parents made you come. Maybe you're online listening just to maybe give it one more shot. You're not really sure. But just the word obedience coming from the mouth of someone on a stage at church, a religious leader, is how you perceive someone like me sends chills down your back because you probably have seen the blatant misuse of authority before in your life. In fact, that might be why you choose not to follow. That may be why you chose to walk away from your faith if you were brought up in church as a younger person is because of the misuse of authority that you have seen. Now, if that's you, I really want you to lean in because I do want to challenge you. In fact, I want to talk a lot to you today just in an encouraging way. I think That by the time we get to the end of our time together, what I'm going to uncover to you, the thing we're supposed to obey, I think even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you're not a Christian, you'll want to obey it. In fact, I think that for some of you, you're probably already obeying it and you didn't even know. So just hang with me until we get to the end because I think it will blow your mind. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you know followers of Jesus and they, no matter how many, if you know a hundred Christians, there seems to be a hundred different versions of what Christians are supposed to do, of what Christians are supposed to obey. And I hope today that you will finally feel like someone shot straight with you and you know exactly what we are supposed to do. And some just think Christianity is just a bunch of rules that if you follow, you feel better about yourself and I hope, I hope that view changes at the end of our time together, at least starts to. You know, the people in our story today, the people that Haggai spoke to, the ancient Jewish people that came back from Babylon, they had a lot of these same kinds of questions. Not all, but they had a lot of them. And they wrestled a lot. They were wondering, like, what on earth are we supposed to obey? What on earth are we really supposed to do? And they needed someone to shoot straight with them. They had no idea. They couldn't understand why certain things were happening, and they were just kind of lost until a guy named Haggai comes onto the scene, and he might just have an answer. But what is Haggai walking into? If you are just joining us, I'd like to catch you up on the last few weeks, just to set some of the context before we jump in today. Here's what's happened. The Jewish people were taken into captivity by a nation known as Babylon, and they'd been gone for some time. Now, leadership changed everything in Babylon, and eventually, the Jewish people were allowed to return to Jerusalem and, and, and their nation. And those who lived in Jerusalem are finally home and somewhere early 500 BC era and they get to come back to Jerusalem. But the city's destroyed. The city's decimated because when they were taken captive, they destroyed everything. The temple of God, all this stuff was just in ruins. And now they come back. And I'm sure there were a lot of the old timers who were like telling the young people, like, just wait till we get there. We're going to rebuild this place and you're going to see it like it was before we got taken captive. It's going to be amazing. And then the then kids who like were born in the captivity, they're like, oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I cannot wait to see. But it wasn't happening. They rebuilt homes. They rebuilt their houses. They planted crops and nothing was working. They, they had drought, like a severe drought. And they had great famine because there was no food. There was no rain. They could not figure out what was going on. They were home. But it sure didn't feel like home. For some of you, that sentence resonates with you today. So we know this from Haggai 1. We, we know that the reason they were not experiencing prosperity like God promised them was because they left a key area, a pivotal, vital area, a structure actually, in shambles while they rebuilt everything else. And it was called the temple of the Lord. The Lord's house. The temple lied in ruins while they built everything else up and poured all their resources into everything else. This was a problem for God because God promised them before they ever even came in Jerusalem the first time, the promised land, He promised. He said, If you build this house, I will live among you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. He wanted a physical place to be with his people. But there the house lied in ruins. And that was why they weren't experiencing the prosperity they were promised. So Haggai comes on the scene and he reminds them, your priorities are out of line and your trust is severely misplaced, as we've seen the last two weeks. And then today goes into you were disobeying. Now this is one of the rare times, and you know this, if you've ever tried to correct somebody, or if you have like a rebellious child like I was, when you try to correct them, it's not always well-received. But this time, when Haggai spoke, the nation paused and realized he's right. We got to change. We got to do something. We have to rebuild the temple because our God wants to be with us. So they started to rebuild the temple. Next, after they begin rebuilding, this prophet receives a vision from God, a, a message to speak to the people. And he tells Haggai to go and to tell the nation, uh, the the Jewish nation, this message so that they could understand why, again, they were experiencing those hard times. Here's what he says. It's found in Haggai chapter 2. And it begins in verse 10. And Haggai comes and here's what he says from God. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat, holy meat, in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, well, if a person defiled by contact with a deadly body, or a dead body, touches one of those things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with these people, this nation, in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. He's using terms from their law because he's saying this temple that is lying here is like a dead body that everything it touches defiles everything you're trying to do. The reason your crops aren't growing is because my house is in ruins. The reason there's no water, my house is in ruins. The reason you are not prospering like I promised you is because my house is in ruins. So until you rebuild that, I will not bless you. He was causing them to self-reflect. Now, Self-reflection is the first step in any sort of of altercation, in any sort of instance, you self-reflect, right? The studies on emotional intelligence will tell you that self-awareness, especially in negative, tension-filled situations, is the first thing you got to do. Why is this happening? Self-awareness. And it's neat because God is having them practice their emotional intelligence, their self-awareness. Stop and pause and consider this. Before this happened, this is why you were experiencing all of these issues. With my mom, in the opening story, if I would have had self-reflection, I probably would have understood why she was so upset. My disobedience showed her I didn't really love and care like I should have, like she desired me to do. It was really hard to be self-reflective, though, with the grass stains on my behind. So I didn't. But if I would have... Self reflected, I would have realized why my mom was so upset. The temple lying in ruins was a direct betrayal of the love of God, a direct betrayal of Him saying, I want to be with you, but my house is in ruins. So once they began to understand what was happening through self reflection, They obeyed. They started rebuilding the temple. And immediately, as soon as they started rebuilding the temple, exactly what God promised happened, prosperity. Things started to flow. In fact, he he overblessed them in many ways. It's incredible. So much that he has Haggai go and tell them again to self-reflect. Remember when you laid the temple, here's what started to happen. Here's what we read next. Now give careful thought from this day on. This is God speaking through Haggai. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So from this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, very specific, when the foundation started to be laid, give careful thought to to the day when the foundation of the Lord was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. Verse 19. From this day on. Meaning, guys, from the, fa- from the day you started laying the foundation of my house once more. I turn the tide for you. And he did. So much so that if you were here last week, we even discovered that the people who tried to stop construction on the temple ended up being ordered to provide the materials for the temple, overbless them, because they listened to what God wanted them to do. From this day on, I will bless you. Now, it's important to know why he wanted them to rebuild the temple. He wanted to be with them, his presence to dwell among his people forever. So, what I'd like to do is back up a little bit and start and go back to the temple. What is the deal with the temple? We talked about this a little bit earlier, but what is the deal with the temple? This is so important for you to get today if we're going to get where we need to go. The temple was so, so important because long ago, before they even entered the nation, before they inherited their promised land as God's people, they formed a makeshift temple called the Tabernacle. And God wanted them to do this so that he would be able to be with them. His presence was to fill the Tabernacle wherever they went. And then when they entered the promised land, he said, I want you to, uh, to, to build a structure and I will live here among you, my people, forever. Everyone will know. I am your God, and you are my people. Build this temple, and they did. But then, when Babylon came, the temples destroyed. They come back. The very last thing on their minds was rebuilding the place where God's presence would dwell. And you got to understand this: when they disobeyed God, it was as if saying to God, "We do not value you. You are not our number one. We do not love you more than we love." These things. And they paid for it. They did not experience God's promise. And God was like you, worried parent. When your kid is wandering and you are so worried sick, you want to intervene. And he does. Because he is faithful. He intervenes through Haggai and things take a turn. When they started obeying God and rebuilding the temple, everything changed. What's so great about Haggai, I think, is the end of this prophecy. Here's what the final words from Haggai read. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tells Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, if you do some research, you know this about Jesus. Jesus was promised to come through the Jewish people, ancient Israel, through the line of David. God promised these people that through David, the Savior of the world will come into the world who I will reconcile everybody to myself. Zerubbabel is in the family tree of David. So not only did God allow them to be prosperous once more, he reinstated the promise through you. I will reconcile the entire world to myself because of what you just did here. Incredible promise. Now fast forward to the first century Jesus followers. They were called to obey a command as well, but it wasn't the same command. They also were promised something, but it was not the same promise. They were never promised prosperity. In fact, their promise that they were promised by Jesus is the same for us today, and I think it's way, way better. The promise is that God will be with us forever. No temple needed. He will be with us forever. Today, and I want you to listen to this. Today, we don't have a temple to rebuild. Today, we are rebuilding people. You've got to get that. Today, we aren't rebuilding temples. We are rebuilding people. Today, God doesn't care so much about the location we worship as much as he cares about the people you sit by right now. And even more, the people who aren't here. That's what it's about. But why? Because right before Jesus left his final time on earth, he said to his followers, he gave us one mission. One. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. It is about people, not a location anymore. Israel was never meant to be the end all, but a pathway to bring Jesus into our world. And if you're sitting here today and you follow him, you are very thankful for that. We are commanded... Something completely different than what they were commanded in Haggai. Haggai, they were supposed to rebuild a temple. What are we commanded now? How do you know if you're here and you want to follow Jesus or you don't? You just want to know what are Christians supposed to do? There's one thing. And Jesus, or John, one of Jesus' best friends, as he's an old man in life, he sits down and he has someone dictate what he's saying because he wants to record his time with Jesus back in his early 30s. And he spent all that time with Jesus. He sits down. He has someone write down everything that he says. And John, somewhere around chapter 13, says this. He remembers Jesus, his best friend, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. A new command. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Then again in chapter 15, verse 12. A new command I give you. Love one another As I have loved you. And then again in verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. How do you know if you're here today? How do you know if you're a Jesus follower today? If you are obeying God. If you're not a Jesus follower, what are we supposed to obey? It is very simple, my friends. It is spelled L-O-V-E, love. That is how you know. If you are obeying God. In the same talk Jesus is giving with his followers, John remembers he said this right after he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I loved you. In verse 18, Jesus also said this, greater love, guys, greater love has no one than this that one would lay down his life for his friends. And then he did it just a few days later, laid down his life for you and for me. Love. Love. Yeah, we are called to obey. You bet. We obey one simple command. Love one another. Rebuild one another. So why do we place such a high emphasis on this? Why does this, why does this preach, no matter where you're at, why is the church so irresistible when they live through this message? Because obeying God is showing love to God. And we love God by following the one command that everything else He ever commanded, everything Jesus ever said, comes through. Love one another as I have loved you. You can obey, God's writers have said this in scripture. You can obey every law, every single thing, every last one, 10 commandments, all the Levitical law, everything I teach you, you can obey. But if you have not love, if you do not love one another, it's useless. It does not. Matter because a love for others, it was an obedience to God, which is a love for God. Love for others is obedience to God, which shows love to God. <laughs> and obedience to God issues in his promise. But it's not the same promise that it was for the Jews in Haggai. It wasn't. It wasn't prosperity. I think it's so much better. The promise, I will be with you to the end of the age. The promise isn't that we would not experience trials. He promised we would. It's not that we would have everything that we want. He promised we wouldn't. It's not that it would be easy. He promised it would never be easy, but he did promise, I will be with you forever. And he took it a step further. I will be inside you. I will live inside of you. You are my temple. And so is everyone that you sit by right now. Whether they follow Jesus or not, he wants a relationship with all of us. We love God through obedience to him. And we obey when we love one another. Now, some of you here today, you aren't really church people. Okay? This may be new for you, the whole idea about God living inside of you. It's weird. I get it. Maybe you didn't realize, though, that love was the driving force behind everything that a Christian is supposed to do. That's it. All of Jesus' commands, the underlying message is we don't do this because we love one another. We value other people. Some of you who follow Jesus, maybe you accepted Jesus and you didn't really know what you were accepting and you have a hard time when people ask you or even when your kids ask you, why do we do this and we don't do some, some of these things? You have a hard time explaining why and I hope today clarified exactly why we do the things that we do. How do you know if you're obeying God if you're a Christian? Because your life is rebuilding other people. Is your life rebuilding others? That's how you know if you are obeying God. It is seriously that simple. But it is way, way, way more demanding. Love one another. The overall thesis for every single thing Jesus commanded. The reason he told us why we don't lust after one another. The reason he told us to value our finances and to recognize it as his and to give freely. The reason he told us not even to be angry with one another. Because that's the same as murder. All of it is because anything that devalues another person is direct disobedience to God. For us who follow Jesus, your life is to rebuild other people. Anything short of that is disobedience. Now, I know there are people here who are not Christians. And what I just told you probably goes against anything you were ever told, anything you ever were taught or you thought about Christianity. It goes against everything you ever thought you knew about it. And I am so glad because to be a Christian is to live countercultural. It is to add value to other people's lives, even the people who don't even like you. We add value to and we love. Church is all about rebuilding other people. And we would love, if you don't follow Jesus, you're not a Christian, we would love for you to come alongside us in our effort to rebuild others, starting with yourself. And if that's you, I hope you don't leave here today without talking to somebody. Sending an email, whatever you got to do. A smoke signal, not in here. but A smoke signal, whatever you got to do. Remember I told you at the beginning, if you don't follow Jesus, that I think that you actually want to obey the one command we're supposed to do. That's it. I really think no matter where you're at, if you're a follower of Jesus or not, you would want to obey that. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a movement that adds value onto other people? who loves other people. That is why I think everybody should be a Christian. We are adding value to one another, and that is how we show love to a risen and resurrected Jesus Christ. How we love one another. Now, there are those of you who believe, who are followers of Jesus. I want to talk to you for a minute. I I think today was probably nothing new to you, but maybe it was. Maybe it was a good reminder. I hope that you're encouraged. If you follow Jesus, I hope you're encouraged. I hope maybe you have a clearer picture of what you're supposed to be doing. And I hope that maybe even if you didn't know you were supposed to obey out of love, that now that you do, because there are a lot of people who go through life not knowing why they actually follow Jesus. I hope you now know. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we end our time together. I really want you to lean in on what I'm about to say. This just grabbed my heart this week. You have got to stop claiming other people's promises. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can read stories like what you see in Haggai. And you see that when they obeyed God, God blessed them with prosperity. That was because that's the promise he gave to them. He said, if you obey me, I will will make your crops grow. You will be prosperous. You will dominate every other nation. That's not your promise. If you follow Jesus, stop claiming their promises. Because your promise is so much better. It is so much better. You know what your promise is? I will be with you. Until the end of the age, I will be with you until the end of the age. Christian in the room, claim your promise. Your promise is that you are a beloved child of God, and your promise is his presence in your life forever. Claim your promise and then take the mission seriously. Go. And tell the world of his great love for you and for me. Claim your promise. We can learn so much from a guy like Haggai. We hope over the last several weeks you have learned a great deal. We hope you do something with what you've learned. If you're in a life group, use a sermon study guide and dig in more. If you're not in a life group, get in one. Take that guide home and use it with your family Continue the conversation. Do something with what you've heard. Claim your promise. And if you are outside of that promise, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you take the bold step and say, I want to claim that for my life and for those people around me. Claim your promise. Now, next week, we begin a brand new series. That I'm actually really excited. I, I get to lead us in kicking it off because it's something I've just been so excited to preach on since we planned it last fall. It's called Battle Royale. Not going to give it away. But you will not want to miss this next several week long series. So I hope you come back next week. And I hope right now you walk out of here claiming your promise. He is with you. And he wants to be with you. Love for God. or Love for others. Is obedience to God which is love for God. That's your mission. That's your one command. So go and do that. God, we thank you so much. You have simplified everything, but it is way more demanding. You have called us to love one another as you have loved us, not with our definition, but yours. The definition of love that caused you to go and to to die and then to raise to life again. We claim that promise as your people. We thank you, God, that through all of Scripture, our promise is greater than it has ever been. You are with us to the end of the age. We thank you for that. I ask that if there are people in the room or listening online right now and they do not know who you are, that this maybe even sounded weird to them, I pray that they would not be able to get this message out of their head. Your message, that you want to be with them, that you want to add value to them as they add value to others. That is how we obey you. Thank you so much that we now know that we can overcome the obstacle of disobedience because we know what we're supposed to obey. Love one another. Because that shows you honor and shows you love. You, are never, you never feel more love than when we love one another. Let us be a people who does that. God, you are powerful, you are mighty. We are so thankful for your great promise. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.